Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Some breaking news from the coaching carousel. I just wanted to repeat for our statewide listeners. We have some vacancies in this state. ECU, Charlotte 49ers, and several more. We also have some big names whose phones are likely ringing. Lavelle Moten at NC Central. Wes Miller at UNC Greensboro. The Charlotte 49ers are expected to hire UVA assistant coach Ron Sanchez. That's a guy who's been with Tony Bennett dating back to their Washington State days together in the Pac-12. Again, Ron Sanchez in the process of being hired as the Charlotte 49ers head coach. That's a program that, remember, back in the day went to a Final Four. And as recently as the Bobby Lutz era still was doing some impressive things regionally and occasionally nationally. Ron Sanchez expected to be officially announced soon by the Charlotte 49ers as their new head coach. Joining us now as our media guest bracket analyst of the day from ESPN, Sirius XM and the athletic website. Chris Spatola, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? What's up, David Glenn? How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, man. Now, you, Ryan Odom joined us today. You might have had a heck of a weekend with your bracket or your analysis or otherwise, but the UMBC coach dropped by about 90 minutes ago and gave us his version of this crazy story. How do you, as a former player and former staff member at Duke, wrap your basketball brain around a number 16 seed beating a number one seed for the first time ever the way UMBC did to Virginia this weekend. Well, if I had known Ryan Odom was coming on, I wouldn't have come on after him. <laughs> I'm afraid to get my ass yeah. uh, as a part of it. Uh, yeah. You know, th there, were, there was so much about that game, David, that was just a statistical anomaly, um, you know, outside of the fact that, that a 16 beat a one, uh, something we had never seen before. Uh, the fact that they put up a 74 spot on Virginia, the fact that they scored 53 of those in the second half, uh, the fact that they, they absolutely dribbled, dribbled by them at will, something that teams don't, just don't do to Virginia, um, the fact that they made perimeter shots with the consistency that they did. I mean, there, there was so much when you go down the line that was a statistical anomaly, um, especially when you put it in the context uh, and I just wrote an article that uh, I think should come out so tomorrow on The Athletic about Virginia and, and sort of a breakdown of, of how to interpret Virginia's season, especially when you put that, that loss by them in the context of a Virginia season that was historically good, that was as, as dominant as we thought it was. Uh, all the numbers from the regular season are true. You can't take those away. And yet they go into a game against the UMBC team that was not favored even to win their conference and they get absolutely handed it. Uh, ha they have it absolutely handed to them. It just there was so much about that, David. That if I were to sit here and be a blowhard and pontificate, that I knew uh, it, I could explain it, I'd be lying to you. Chris Patola is joining us on the David Glenn Show because you played at the Division One level. I wonder what your impressions were, either when you saw, say, Carolina trailing Texas A&M and maybe not responding to the adversity very well, or especially the UVA example. Chris, I'm not sure there's a better example in America than the Cavaliers through that 31-2 and season that you mentioned prior to the shocking loss. Nobody was more comfortable in close, low-scoring games and better at dealing with close, low-scoring games even into the second half than UVA through 33 games 
and yet it it looked to me like they kind of reached for the panic button in this set of circumstances through your former players eyes did you see that from the Tar Heels or the Cavaliers or some of the others that are now home for the holidays yeah you, you know it's it's what's interesting is and I'll use this analogy I'm a bit of a history buff and I, I was using this analogy this morning and I, I don't know if you'll buy it or not but um you know, during the during the Revolutionary War, when the, when the British were kicking the heck out of the out of the colonists, it, it, you know, they were using their their old style tactics, and they were lining up in their red coats, and you know, the two sides would line up in a field, and the Brits would, you know, because of their sheer numbers and firepower, they were dominating the colonists and winning the Revolutionary War early on, and then all of a sudden, the the colonists went to guerrilla tactics and started, you know, you know what, maybe we shouldn't line up in a field against this massive fighting force, maybe we we go at it in a different way, and all of a sudden, the Brits started looking at this thing and saying, "Wait a second! This like this 200 years of fighting tactics is starting to crumble around us," and they didn't know what to do. And, and I thought that that was—I saw a little bit of that in Virginia, where they 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 have sustained for so long and had such a great season on the backs of a system in which the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. That that defensive style, that tempo, that style of play is a force multiplier. It, it, there is no coach getting more out of less than Tony Bennett, and yet it failed them. I mean, it failed them dramatically, and that's when the weight of the world, I thought, dropped onto Virginia's shoulders. Like, wait a second, we can't hit a shot. This system that we've come to believe in yeah. is crumbling around us. And, oh, by the way, we are going to be a massive massive part of history as the uh, the first one to go down to a 16. I, I You could absolutely see that on their faces. Chris Spatola is joining us. That is the Chris Spatola who is one of the leading scorers in the history of the U.S. Military Academy dropping some Revolutionary War analogy knowledge here today on the David Glenn Show. Among the 16 still standing, is there anyone that you that changed your opinion of them with how well they played and, and maybe improved, uh, in your eyes, their chances of continuing to advance from the Sweet 16? Yeah, you know, two teams. And, and one of them I, I actually picked to be in the Final Four, and, and it was more a reaffirmation than, than uh, I guess, new information, and that's Gonzaga. Um, you know, I, I, I said to you a couple weeks ago, they, they are one of the hottest teams playing at the end of the regular season. And, and you don't really, it's obscured by the fact that they play in the WCC and we don't really get to see them play against high level competition this time of year. Um, but they are, they are really athletic up front, really, really versatile. They, they can guard you in a lot of different ways. Uh, that backcourt, you know, had contributing members to a team that played in a national title game last year. And now with Xavier out of the equation, I, I actually think Florida State's a pretty good matchup for them. Uh, and the others in the same bracket in Texas A&M. And, and I think, you know, look, suspensions, for whatever reason, those went on. They did have some injuries. Uh, their backcourt, I, I thought, let them down for a bulk of the season. But, um, but you're not going to find a lot of front lines. I mean, it's interesting that four of the six biggest teams in the country are all in the Sweet 16, and Texas A&M is one of them. Uh, you're not going to see – I mean, that's a pro front line yeah. that they're running out there. And then if you get Hogue and Gilder, I mean, guys with great size, great length, um, if their guards show up and make shots and play well, that, that, is a, that is a very balanced and good team. 
Chris Spatola is joining us. Follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Spatola. Find his work at the Athletic website. Find his work as well at ESPN and on Sirius XM, where he is a host as well. Looking forward or, or looking backward one more time, I don't often think of Tom Izzo of Michigan State getting outcoached. But for the second time in three years, Jim Beheim has taken a team at Syracuse that barely made the big bracket. And in this year's version, well, as you know, two years ago, he takes them all the way to the Final Four. This year, he's already won three straight games. It felt to me, Chris, that the Spartans never figured out that zone defense of Syracuse. And yet... You knew it was coming, right, and couldn't figure out, well, who should I have catch the ball at the free throw line or whatever. What did you make of that matchup? Because I thought the Spartans had enough to make a run at a national title, and an 11-seed Syracuse beat them with a game plan that the Spartans could have predicted ahead of time. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny because I was, I was sitting in studio last week with a guy who, uh, in Tom Crean, who – perhaps lost his job as a result of how he played against that zone in, in the tournament. I mean, it, you, you know, it's because uh, it, Indiana folks never, never forgave him for that. Um, you know, it's tough. It, it, it's not your, I mean, we know that it's not your conventional two, three zone. Right. It, it, you know, they bring those bottom guys up. They're really long and, and they play it all year. You know, it's, it's, it's a part of the fabric. It's a part of what they do. And, you know, it, it, the last, their last two opponents, TCU and Michigan State, are a combined 11 of 54 from three. And I think the conventional wisdom, when you're not used to facing their zone, and, and again, let's remember, now they're doing this in the tournament, so they're at a conference. Now they're going to get back into conference, but they're at a conference for the most part. Yeah. And if you're not comfortable seeing it, it can be a little bit disarming. And again, you think the conventional wisdom against two, three zones is, well, three-point shots are going to be there. And they're there against uh, Syracuse's 2-3 zone, but the window is very small. And so, you know, again, you, you end up falling in love. I mean, Michigan State took 37 threes, mm. David. And it's not like Tom Izzo, and, and again, I don't think he coached it well. I don't think they handled it well. But I would imagine he was telling them to attack. I don't know why he kept Ben Carter in the middle because he looked like a fish out of water right. in the middle of that zone. I mean, just – there's something about facing the way that, that Syracuse plays that thing that makes teams very, very uncomfortable. Interesting. UVA ran into a version of what you just described uh, at Indiana a few years ago during the Tony Bennett era as well. Chris Patola is joining us on the David Glenn Show. Duke, we all know, is one of the most talented teams in this field. Beating Iona convincingly is one thing destroying the Atlantic 10 regular season champion Rhode Island was another thing. What jumped out at you about the Blue Devils back-to-back victories as they move forward now, not to take on Michigan State, as a lot of folks thought, uh, but Syracuse and possibly Kansas after that? Well, two things. The the lack of size, and, and I, I said this about Rhode Island going into the tournament, you know, good team. The, the, the problem is not real big up front, and, and as Danny Hurley said after the game, I mean, Duke's got a pro front line. Uh, so, right. uh, again, one of those those six, you know, biggest teams in the country. Um, so that that's first and foremost. I mean, those two guys inside are special, and, and when they have the ability to – uh, to catch and move and 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 rebound and all that stuff, they're they're gonna they're gonna dominate. And then the other thing is the guards. I mean, you know, the ability to make shots, be big against Syracuse, the ability to make shots and not turn the ball over, 
uh, has been a difference maker when Duke's been at their best. And, you know, that to me, David, this was the most complete game that they have played. Like, they have looked like the best team in the country in spurts in games, but they haven't looked the best team in the country for a while over an entire game against a good opponent. And, and I thought that game against Rhode Island was their most complete game. Firing all cylinders, defense was locked in, defense, you know, rebounding the ball, and then making shots, especially in that. But when Gary Trent comes out on fire like he did, um, Duke's tough. I mean, they really are. And we, we know that offense can be good. Uh, I've said all along, the defense will be there eventually. If, if that defense can take care of the ball, the guards can be you know, moderately productive, and then you allow those big guys to do what they do, that ultimately, I think, put that, puts them over the top. And, and it, was, it was the most complete game they've played. Last thing for Chris Batola on the coaching carousel, is there either a name, you know, Lavelle Moten in our neighborhood, Wes Miller of UNCG, our guest earlier, Ryan Odom of UMBC, either a name that jumps out at you as a candidate to sort of jump up the ladder, or maybe a job that's already been filled that, that just compels you to share your thoughts? Because Anthony Hardaway is a big name with very little experience, apparently the new guy at Memphis. Tom Crean, who you just mentioned as a colleague at ESPN, has been hired at Georgia. Pitt is open in the ACC but is perceived as a dumpster fire. Some are wondering if Louisville will come open. What are your, what's the most compelling story for us to follow in your eyes in that coaching carousel right now? Well, you know, look, Wes Miller is, is to me a guy who, who I've, I've talked about quite a bit. And, and again, a guy, if, if, if you have somebody who can coach the defensive end like he has done, um, I, I, I think he's a home run, a young guy, a guy who's going to relate, a guy who comes from great stock. He's got, you know, obviously Carolina on his resume. I mean, that's to me, that's a big one. The, the other name that, you know, of all these upstart guys, the, the other name that I think is going to be a popular one because he's well-respected in the profession is Eric Musselman. Yeah, I think when this is all said and done, he, he's there, there are going to be some folks uh, poking poking around there to see what his interest is because he's he he can really coach. I mean, what he's been able to do there, and he's doing it, you know, kind of in the way that a lot of teams have to do it now with the transfers and and you know just the unconventional way. Um, you know, I do want to say something, and I, and I tweeted this out a little while ago, and I'm getting killed by Memphis fans, but the, the way that Memphis handled this hiring of Penny Hardaway is an abomination. It's an absolute abomination. And they went about it in such a shady way that the whole thing was a complete charade. To fire Tubby Smith after winning 40 games in two years, they told him that they were going to be able to get into the Big 12 before they hired him. That obviously never panned out. He's got six guys who ended up leaving uh, earlier this year, three of whom were his top scorers. He still won 21 games this year. To, to use attendance or, or any of that as an excuse, you know, fine, get rid of the guy, but when you've got a guy on your, on your payroll who's your head coach and you're having closed-door meetings, you're having meetings behind his back to bring in a guy like Penny Hardaway is, is an absolute abomination. So, I, you know, look, and it's nothing against Penny Hardaway. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's been a high school coach. I'm sure he's, he's a fine coach. But to handle Tubby Smith the way that that school did it is, is disgraceful. Just so you know, I, I interpret lazy, ignorant, cheap shots from Twitter trolls as a compliment from a good person. I've tried to equate those things. Just in case, just in case that helps you with the remainder of your day. Chris, Chris Spatola, he is, to this moment, one of the leading scorers in the history of the U.S. Military Academy. Love the Revolutionary War knowledge, man. Thanks for the time on the David Glenn Show. You guys, by the way, 
you know, whatever I am on the scoring list at Army, the only thing I care about is that I'm ahead of Coach K. That's all I worry about. <laughs> and I think well ahead of Coach K. Thanks, Chris.